Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast of The Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, tough guy Ross Kemp shares stories from his new documentary, The Millennium Dome Heist. Sky Sports pundit and Liverpool legend Jamie Carragher talks the greatest games with his new book, The Greatest Games. Top TV judge Rob Rinder tells us all about his two-part tear-inducing series, My Family, The Holocaust and Me. And two-time heavyweight boxing champion of the world, Tyson Fury spars with us over his new book, The Furious Method. All of that and loads more still to come. Now, Dapper Dave, tell us, who's the first guest. If he gets knocked down, he gets back up again. You'll never keep him down and you can learn just how he does it. His new book, The Furious Method, is knock out now and here for a gentle verbal sparring session is two-time heavyweight world champion. It's the one, it's the only, it's Tyson Fury. Good morning, Tyson. Good morning. <laughs> how are, you how doing? are we? Very well. How are you, pal? I'm not too bad, thanks very much. Yeah, just after breakfast, um, about to go training after this interview and just have a nice relaxing day really well done great book by the way uh, the furious method tyson fury uh, transform your mind body and goals how long have you been working on this pal i was working on this from the beginning of the lockdown the first lockdown came to me um i was thinking right it's now it's time to write another book Reason being, uh, lockdowns happening, and I, th- I know there'd be a lot of people struggling with mental health and stuff. And just an insight on how I dealt with my problems when I was going through all the hard times and bad times. Thought I'd document it all down, and hopefully, it can help other people control or or help them with their uh, mental health problems. Now, King of the Ring, um, past, present, and uh, hopefully future as well. But also, you are king of one of the kings of how to how to make a regime work for you it's all about your regime isn't it for sure yeah a routine regime is is how i live these days for the last two years i've had a a maintainable uh, regime that I've, i've stuck to on a daily basis and it's really really helped me especially with someone like me who's always up and down in mindsets and and stuff like that so if i keep my mind focused on targets and goals i don't have much time to to have all that down uh, downtime in their mind. Yeah, and I, I like regime because you know doing the show every day. You know we have to be up at like half three, four o'clock, and we're in London for five, and we're on the air at half six, and uh, we finish at ten. And it's great because a we love our job. We're very lucky, of course. And um, but b it makes us behave the night before, which is really important. It makes us engage in the world because we have to research certain things because people are coming on the show, like your book, for example. But also, yeah. if you if you have a regular regime and routine, it takes away you know the bother of decision making, and that can be exhausting. It can. It can be exhausting, you know. There's a lot of decisions out there that you think about and think about. It takes all your energy away. And by the time it comes to making that decision, you're still in the same boat where you don't know what to do anyway. So I think I, with me, it's like overthinking things all the time. Yeah. Um, and I've learned, I've had, a, I've had a, a guy, one of my friends, uh, Sean, I mentioned in the book, he always tells me about uh, trying not to worry about things that I can't control. And that's what I've been trying to do for the last couple of years. And I love the sh- I love the book because you know it's it's not too confrontational because it's broken down into bite-sized pieces. Like this section here, a couple of pages. Think like Arnie, someone you admire, is Arnold Schwarzenegger. What have you learned from him? 
You know, it's, um, he's a very influential person. He's, uh, he's been a very successful person. Um, and, you know, he, he says it as it is. There's always going to be uh, naysayers out there and people who are, are hating on others because they're, they're trying to follow their dreams and goals. We just need to ignore these people and, and crack on with, with your life and, and, and set your targets and set your goals. You know, I was, I was told this um, saying last year by my nutritionist, George Lockhart, and he said, it, it comes from a famous uh, book. I'm, I can't remember what book it was, so don't, don't try and quote me on it. But it was like, if you don't set a target, you'd be shooting at things and, and, and just hitting everything and missing everything. You'd yeah. never hit the actual thing you was going for in life. Where in life, if we set a target, no matter how, how far away this target is or how unreachable it is, at least you've got something to aim for. Yeah. And eventually, you are going to hit this target, no matter what it is. Yeah. As long as you believe and trust in yourself and you keep following your, your dreams to, to hit that target, eventually you're going to hit it. It's like if a cruise ship was just traveling around with no destination point, mm. it'd travel around, it would never get anywhere. But nine times out of ten, it will reach the destination point where it's headed to. I love that. I love it. It sounds so simple. It's so true. You shouldn't be hijacked by the goals, you know, or the outcome. But to have a direction, which is is the target, is so useful. And if you if you focus on on the so you pick your target and then you focus on the practice that it it might take to get to where you want to go. But then almost forget the target and and then just carry on practicing. You find the target sometimes comes to you, and that's the best thing in the world, isn't it? It is. It is. It's. Um... It's all about working towards what you want, setting your targets, setting your short-term goals, long-term goals, and having a regime and a routine planned. Yeah. I think, especially, especially with someone who's suffering with mental health problems, the, the best advice I can give to anybody is to have a structured routine, set, set your day out in advance and, um, and try and follow, follow the script. Yeah, and you've you know you've 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 more than had um, your troubles, and they're well documented. And you've been very candid about them in last year's book. Um, you were um, when you blew to twenty eight stone, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, and then you were being hated. Um, so, so what tips do you have for people to, to a overcome their own low self esteem, their own sort of um, take on themselves, and then what others might be saying about them? You know that your own self esteem, like I say, you've got to. Figure out where you want to be, set your goal, and then try and achieve it. You know, no matter how low you are in life, there's only one way you can go, and that's upwards and get better and better and better. Yeah. Um, and as for other people, peer pressure, that you, people are always going to have peer pressure, but it's how we take it on, especially in, in the world today of, like, social media and all that sort of stuff. A lot, there's a lot of stuff on there, like negative stuff, and if people post stuff and other people comment on it, I mentioned that in the book as well. Yeah, I know. It's not to be taken too seriously yeah. because the one thing I've learned in this world is you can't please everybody. <laughs> no. no matter what you do, if, if you're great every day, you're gonna you're gonna upset somebody. Yeah. So you you can't just you can't make the world happy one individual by saying everything correct every single day. Yeah. So I think you're just gonna worry about what's important in your life and not worry about what other people are thinking or saying about you too much. I talk about it, and I talk about it blocking out the um, the negativity and the haters and all that sort of stuff. All right, Tyson Fury, The Furious Method, out now. Transform you your bo- mind, body, gut and goals. Thank you very much, Tyson. Happy Christmas to you, and bring on the king. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. The subject of our next guest documentary brings a whole new meaning to the phrase getting to beers in. The Millennium 
Dome Heist with Ross Kemp is on ITV1 tonight at 9pm. And here to tell us more is the most diamond geezer with a tale of some almost diamond stealers. It is, of course, Ross Kemp. Thank you very much. Dapper Dave, <laughs> Dapper Dave, introing from home. Can you tell there, Ross? Could you tell the difference in quality there between the two? Um, no, not really. Uh, Ross, uh, tell us more. The Millennium Dome Heist with you. That's you, Ross Kemp, actual <laughs> Ross Kemp, tonight at 9pm on ITV. Yep, so um, 350 million pounds worth of diamonds, uh, surrounded by a million pounds worth in cash, stuck in the Millennium Dome, and funnily enough, some robbers thought it would be a good idea to try and take it, and they attempted to do so, but it's a really long tale, because (laughs) even though we can make no connection between those guys and two previous robberies, these guys were highly organised, they knew how to cut hydraulics. They rammed the back of vehicles if they were the same guys, which we're not saying they were. Um, but the one thing that they all had in common was they managed to cut off arterial routes to the crimes that they committed and get away by boat. And that's the same thing that happened on the Millennium Dome heist. However, they didn't get away by boat that time because they all got arrested. So bulldozers and speedboats and you. Um, now, this is a new string to your storytelling bow. I like it, Ross. Are there, many more, are <laughs> there, are there, are there more to come? Uh, not at the moment. Um, oh, we've got to wait for some more, more robberies to happen, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's very much a crime of its time. You know, these days it's a lot easier to rob with a, a laptop. Right. But what I really got from it was that it was only 20 years ago, but 20 years is a very long time. And, you know, in those days it was considered cool, for instance, to drink water from a plastic bottle. People smoked openly. Mm. And a lot of people were paid in cash. So the year before that actual robbery took place, there was something like nearly 300 armed robberies in London. They were commonplace because there was so much cash floating around. Uh, And we live in a very different time now. The biggest selling phone that year was a Nokia phone that was analogue and didn't have a camera. So, you know, we've actually changed a heck of a lot in those 20 years. And, of course, crime has changed with it. Now, had they pulled this off, would it have been the biggest ever in the UK? It would definitely have been the biggest ever in the UK, yeah. Um, I think because, obviously, it was £350 million of diamonds then, it would be um, a lot, lot more now. Um, And they nearly did. I mean, the fact is, the glass surrounding it, the security glass, was supposed to withstand a a battering for over 30 30 minutes, and it actually collapsed in under 30 seconds. So, you know, they actually, they got through to the diamonds. They they ramroded the side of the building with the JCB. They they threw smoke grenades down, um, but the police this time were waiting for them. Now, how do you tell the story? Is it actual CCTV footage? Is it recreation? Are you on the ground there? Yeah, I actually go back, obviously, to the Dome, but um, a lot of it is just footage from the actual day of the raid. I mean, it was being filmed from the top of Canary Wharf Tower. They had cameras out on the river when they arrested. You should see, the, the, well, the, the, apparently the face of the guy in the boat. He had no idea. And then this rib turned up with 25 armed policemen in it. Oh I think his, his world uh, <laughs> fell apart at that Not point. Um, so, yeah, you know, um, but you've got to sort of like, I've got a grudging respect for them. They were incredibly organized. And to think, you know, that they, they managed to smash their way in, they had all the equipment to break the glass, and they really would have got away with it had 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 hadn't been for the police lying in wait for them. So nine pm tonight sounds sounds brilliant. It's after my bedtime, but I'm definitely going to watch it over the weekend with the kids. <laughs> Thank you. No, it really is. Um, is it an hour or a couple of hours? It's 
it's an hour, mate. An it's hour. An hour. Okay. All yeah. right. Good. And uh, what else are you up to, Ross? Um, I'm making more documentary at the moment for ITV. I can't tell you what it's about. Oh, come on. It does it? Well, it sort of involves exotic creatures. Right. You know. Um, those that slither around and those on four legs. And it's, it's quite interesting just to see the extent of how many people own really quite extraordinary exotic creatures in the UK. Now, you're on the rain in a bit. I know you've got to go. Um, yeah. are you, is that from home? Are you Zooming from home? I'm Zooming from home, mate. Hey, I'm, baby. Uh, I'm sat in my, my little office with the leaks in the ceiling uh, where the kids keep splashing water through when they have a bath. Have you worked on your backdrop, your TV backdrop, your Zoom TV no, backdrop? No, you know what? It's really rubbish. It's absolutely... <laughs> in fact, it's got my diary up. You made me remind me I've got to move my diary because I'll be being intercepted by the baddies if they exactly. see where I'm going next week. You, but you've won loads of awards. Get them behind you. Come on, you've got three no, minutes before I, you're on. You know Come I'm on. I'm not going to do that. Come I might on. get me nuts, me nuts 09 award out, but I'm not getting the BAFTA, no. All right. No, it's, a really bad, it's a really bad backdrop, funnily enough. No, yeah. I, don't, I don't... Well, where do you, you keep your BAFTA? It is actually in uh, in the lounge uh, with the other kind of documentary awards and all the... I've got a few soap awards, believe it or not. I sound like I'm talking about my awards now. And they're <laughs> up in the office upstairs, hiding around. I think I've got some like, ridiculous ones, like the TV quick best-looking man of, like, 1989 or something. <laughs> hey, 89. What a good year. Beautiful. Great year, pal. Uh, Ross, great to talk to you, as always. Thank you so much. Cheers, my friend. You're very welcome. Bye. Sounds great, doesn't it? What a lovely show. The Millennium Dome Heist with Ross Kemp tonight. ITV, 9pm, full of intrigue. Uh, actual CCTV footage. Can't wait to see that guy's face when he thinks he's going to get away <laughs> scot-free on his own speedboat and 25 um, fully armed coppers pitch up on a high-speed rib. I'm rich! Oh, no, not. You're not anything anymore, mate. <laughs> yeah. Your history is what you is. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. A Liverpool legend through and through, he's been involved in some pretty tasty games himself. His new book, The Greatest Games, detailing the battles that helped shape his love of football, is out on Thursday. And here, ready to administer a crunching tackle, is the one and only Jamie Carragher. Morning, Jay. Morning, Chris. All OK? Yeah, very well. How are you? How's your gang? Yeah, all doing okay at the moment, mate, yeah. Uh, right, you've had, you've had a week of the footy uh, on Sky. If this vaccine news comes true and we can get fans back to football, I mean, come on, how much better will it be? Oh, it will. It's. I mean, I, I can't wait myself. It'll feel like all your Christmas has come at once, I think, when you hear that roar in the crowd when a goal goes in. We've, we've missed it so much. And at this moment, the football's been great in some ways uh, without the crowds. And you just think how much better it'll be with the supporters back and, and fingers crossed uh, the news that we've had in the last day or so proves to be correct and we can get back to a you know normal life as soon as possible, which means football crowds back. Yeah, um, and I was talking to Alan Brazil about this last week. Vass and I and Rachel were talking to Alan Brazil because he's got a new book out as well. And uh, we were saying, you know, what what effect do you think it's had on the players? He said, well, you can see from the score lines these scores, you know, you know, you don't know for certain. He said, but these this kind of score lines we're seeing would have been very unlikely had the crowds been in there because especially, you know, defending a lead or defending, you know, a uh, uh, a, um, a, a nil all draw. Um, the pressure's so much more on not to give a goal away when there's a crowd there. That's what was his take on it. What do you think? I think he's spot on. I think some of the scores that we're seeing are the type of scores we'd see when we play practice matches at training grounds where there's not as much uh, intensity or pressure on that game. And I think a lot of that comes from the crowd. I think players are playing more relaxed now. So maybe that helps the attacking players. You know, they're not as nervous in front of goal, maybe because there's no crowd. And maybe the fact that there's no crowd means that some of the defenders are lacking 
a little bit of intensity and uh, concentration because they keep you on your toes, as we all know, crowds. Yeah, they do indeed. And, you know, it's the same with, you know, live performances, you know, in entertainment and other aspects where, you know, um, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people are invited to get together. Have you seen anything? You know, we talk about all the things we've learned in lockdown and we can take forward with us the silver linings. Have you seen anything on the pitch because of players playing differently that they might be able to use when crowds come back? Or will it, will it just, will it be like flipping a coin and it'll be like, you know, back to what football was like nine months ago? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll take too much from it because I just don't think you can uh, influence uh, on the pitch in terms of if there's no crowd there, uh, the way that we've seen now, because the crowd makes a difference to people. Some people actually may play better yeah. without a crowd. I think certain <laughs> players need the crowd. It really stimulates them. Uh, I think certain teams rely on the crowd a lot more than others. Yeah, I, I see some teams near the bottom of the league. I look at Sheffield United. I think being no supporters there is a huge miss for them. I think it'll be a huge miss for Liverpool uh, throughout the season. Uh, and some people just play as feed off that. And I, I'd like to think you know the quality and the goals that we're seeing will still be there. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But whether whether it is or it's not. I mean, football with the crowd there will, will be a lot better spectacle than what, what we have right now. Yeah, and especially, you know, back at home as far as you and I as a fan is concerned, you know, back at, back at Anfield, you know, because um, Liverpool are champions this year, um, you know, every time they would have gone onto the pitch this year, the, the atmosphere would have been electric in their favour at home and they're just missing that advantage. Yes, that is a, that is a, maybe a slight problem for Liverpool. They've still started the season really well, and I think you know them or Man City are still the, the two top teams or the teams to beat, if you like. But there's no doubt towards the end of the season, if, if the title's in, you know, not not sure where it's going to go. It, it's in contention with different teams. The Anfield crowd, you think, will be able to drag Liverpool home. So fingers crossed, this vaccine. <laughs> Is available and it, can, uh, it means Liverpool can be dragged over the line for yeah. the title. Yeah, uh, please God, uh, fingers crossed. There's a lorry out of it going to Merseyside as soon as possible. All uh, right, <laughs> or at least 22 shots. Anyhow, um, the greatest games, uh, Jamie Carragher. Now, this is a book and a half, isn't it, Jay? Um, so this is you encouraging people. Well, first of all, you you know recounting games yourself, then encouraging people to read about them. Then go back and watch these games. Yes, of course. And I think I think in lockdown, uh, certainly the first lockdown we, there was a lot of things there was a lot of nostalgia I think there was lots of old games getting put on TV there was no football and it was just it gave me a decent opportunity actually to get a lot of work on the book done and speak to lots of people and I think lots of people look back at old games and reminiscing about how they were missing the football and it just coincided with me doing this book at the moment so it goes from the mid 80s when I can first start remembering football and, and the great games some I played in some I, I watched as a, as a child and and some I've uh, looked at as a pundit. And uh, there's all kinds of different games in there, lots of uh, teams uh, in there as well. So Liverpool's biggest rivals, Manchester United and Everton, have both got two games each in there. So it tells you there's a wide range of uh, you know teams and games involved. And I think they're just the iconic games that I would certainly say uh, in my top 11. Not everyone else's. But uh, certainly in mine. Right now, Vassas has a loving family. Not that he can remember, because for the last 24 hours, he's not been able to get his nose out of this book. Yeah, no, really enjoyed it. And I love the fact that it's the only book 
since I read at school that comes with homework. You encourage people to watch <laughs> not just the highlights of the game, but you say the whole 90 minutes. Uh, Jamie, yes. I think my favourite of these games, I love it when a league season, 38 games, comes down to the final kick in the final match. You know which ones I mean. You, you know, Thomas yes. bursting through the midfield. It's up for grabs now. <laughs> and of course, Aguero. Um, which are your favourites? Well, listen, I mean, I, I played only in a couple of these games, but I mean, th- that game, I think, is, is, a, is one of those games, certainly the Michael Thomas Arsenal Liverpool, it's a, a where were you moment. And I think I, I can still picture exactly where I was. I was actually celebrating that goal myself. I was, I was a young Everton fan at the time. And I don't think even the Aguero moment beats uh, the Michael Thomas moment. I don't think you'll ever get a, a situation in football like that ever again. And I think a lot of the chapter we talk about, obviously, how good that game was, but how important that game was in terms of what came afterwards in terms of the Premier League and Sky Television and, and how much of an epic moment that was. And, and maybe at that time, if you watch the footage back, as I'm, I'm pleading everyone to do, I think the game was on ITV at the time. And, and you just go straight to a break when the game's finished. And you, you, you think of that now, one of the biggest moments in, in TV, probably history with football. And that's just the way it was at the time. And I just think football now as, as a TV spectacle is so much bigger and better. And maybe you talk about Aguero and you can, you can give it that bit more justice that it certainly deserves. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks so much for hanging on. Thanks, Chris. Thanks a lot. Cheers, pal. Uh, Jamie Carragher, The Greatest Games, is out now. And you loved it, didn't you, Vassos? I, I really did. I'll be honest, I haven't read it yet, but I can't wait. So well done, everyone. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We've heard from three top-notch guests already, but still, there's so much more to come. The self-confessed Victorian dandy comedian Tom Allen chats his new candid memoir, No Shame, and very funny it is too. Top telly trooper Alan Carr gives us some lights, camera, action news on the third series of There's Something About Movies. Author and illustrator Charlie Maxey tells us about the audiobook version of his smash hit The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. And Minister for Health and Social Care Matt Hancock explains the government's plans for more coronavirus testing and discuss this week's Massive vaccine news. All of that and more still to come, so let's get right back to the action. Dapper Dave, who's next? He's a criminal barrister whose new show examines his relationship to one of the worst crimes ever committed. The new two-part series, My Family, The Holocaust and Me, starts tonight at 9pm on BBC One. And here to tell us about his extraordinary journey of a discovery is the brilliant Rob Rinder. Good morning, Rob. Morning, Chris. How are you today? I'm very well. Congratulations. What a wonderful programme. I've only seen the first one, but obviously I was in tears from about a frame in, I would imagine. Do you know what? I'm really grateful that, um, and, and I have to say, I know your listeners know what a good bloke you are, but that you've taken the time and gifted me the opportunity to talk about this programme to you and your listeners. It's, a, it's a, of course, an interesting watch, but it, it's really important too. And um, I, I know that you get that. So it really means the world. Thank you. Right. Well, before we move on, let's just, um, let me just um, say, say I'm really sorry for your loss. Popper is no longer with us, who's, who was in the show. 
Oh, you're going to start me off, I'm afraid. Yeah. Oh. Um, so he uh, so he died in the summer and um, he um, was sort of staying alive, wanting to watch the programme. He did get to see the completed piece, but um, he didn't actually get to see it broadcast. Um, and we follow um, his journey and my other grandfather's a little bit, but we follow my papa's journey, his ancestors into Eastern Europe and, and what happened to them. And um, it was truly deeply affecting. And it's a, it's a programme, really, Chris, for, for, for everybody. You know, um, we don't just follow my stories. In fact, that's only a small part of it. We mainly follow the stories of, of other people's families who, whose relatives uh, went through this experience and they know so little. And, you know, the reason it matters, you know, we look out to the world today complacent in our democracy, thinking everything's fine and, you know, as challenging and as frightening as the world is, we still think everything's going to be okay. And you look at the pictures of Amsterdam that people will see or of Germany or perhaps of France. And you look at those pictures in the 20s and the 30s and they felt and they seem to everybody there totally modern. And we look out to the world today and all you need are the right catastrophic events. You need someone to feel aggrieved by a treaty and the wrong person at the right place at the wrong time. And then you've got your alchemy for the world to descend into depravity but it's also a program about thinking about for everybody regardless of your background who our parents and grandparents were you know yesterday you know um, normally we would have had our brave men and women the greatest of our generations who really gifted us all the freedom of speech that we and perhaps especially you enjoy on the radio and um, you know, so many of that generation didn't talk about what they went through, and that's especially true of the dwindling number of Holocaust survivors. So this question asks, this program really asks that question about what does it mean to be parented by somebody that's been through so much? And that really invites us all to ask challenging questions about our own lives, our parents, and you know, uh, to perhaps locate their full humanity. Why was my dad like that? And really, I think what I'm hoping for is that people will come away, sure, feeling educated and moved, but also optimistic. Um, you didn't see the second programme, but I went with my mum, uh, whose birthday it is today. And um, the two of us were gifted this chance to go to Treblinka, where my relatives, her uncles and aunts, you know, the youngest was nine years old, were murdered. And underneath this ground, which is just marked by nothing apart from the jagged suggestions of stones that were there. We stood, and I didn't know he was going to be there, the last living human being who saw what happened there. He was the last living eyewitness, a man called Leon Ritz. And we went to make the memorial prayer to remember all of our family who had died there. And as I was about to say their names into the world, to really to give them that respect, to breathe life back into them to that extent, um, Leon, as I say, the last person who saw what was there, the last witness, he touched my shoulder and he said, you know what? No, no, uh, this is for all of the living people in the world. This is for everybody. And, you know, as I, I hope that when people watch it tonight, you and you watch it, you become a witness too. And um, I guess what I'm praying for is that everybody, regardless of your background or political complexion, become more courageous to stand up to prejudice, bullying, anything. You know, Maya Angelou is a real hero of mine, Chris. I was watching her the other day and she says, you know, you can't practice any of the virtues consistently. You can't be a virtuous person without courage. Um, and I'm really proud of this program because I think people will come away feeling sure educated, moved to be sure, but also feeling more 
courageous in their daily lives. So, yeah, and the, um, the fascist net ended up being spread far and wide, didn't it? Because, you know, you go to Belarus mm-hmm. and the Netherlands and fa- yeah. amazing stories, Rob. I mean, well done. How did this programme come about? Well, it started because, um, as you may remember, I did a uh, Who Do You Think You Are? And it coloured in the outlines of my grandfather's story. And I only knew sort of bits and pieces. But, you know, it was a really good news story in this regard. There wasn't a peep of anti-Semitism when the programme was on. There was sort of, um, you know, universal interest. And from there, there was this sort of flood of people who wanted to learn and know more about their own lives. I mean, thousands of people who thought that they had a connection and, and, and very often did. And as you know, there's been this massive upsurge in people really trying to come to terms with, think about history and where they came from. And perhaps above all else, as we see the dark clouds and the shadows emerging across the world, um, intolerance, our inability to talk to one another, now more than ever is an opportunity for us to really think about, to, to cherish and never to be complacent in our democracy. And what better way of doing it than telling this story and reminding everybody where that sort of intolerance, that inability to listen and hear each other, that inability not to attack, not to attack people, but to attack ideas, uh, uh, all of those things. What better way to tell that story than through the prism of the Holocaust and perhaps the most articulate expression of how things can go wrong? Um, big slot tonight. Um, you know, yeah. no, nothing less than it deserves. Um, but congratulations, um, if, if that's oh, the, the, the right sense uh, on making this, this two-part documentary. It is awesome. Well, there's lots of things on. I'm just happy, I'm just, you know, happy it's on. And um, what a privilege uh, that you've given it a platform. And uh, I know, as I say, your listeners know the type of person you are, but that means the world to me. Thank well, you. Rob, it's lovely to talk to you again. Stay safe and give my love to your mum on her well. birthday. Thank All right. You. My family, the Holocaust and me, BBC One, 9pm. Seriously, um, watch it yourselves and then consider getting your kids to watch it because it's that's probably even more important. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He's a self-confessed Victorian dandy and the world is much dandier for it. His memoir, No Shame, is out today and here to flick through its most fabulous pages and provide a large dose of much-needed glamour is the comedy sensation, also known as Mr. Tom Allen. Good morning, Tom. (laughs) Good morning. What a lovely introduction. I feel like I'm walking into a stadium or something. (laughs) Well, congratulations on everything and everyone here loves your book, Tom. Oh, that's so nice. Well oh, thank done. you very much for reading it. I, um, I'm very excited for, for it to be out today. So you've always um, thought you're 46. Yes. I always have this sense that I, there's been some terrible mistake and that I've always been a 46-year-old adult. And even as a child, I would be furious that I had to sit at the child's table and talk <laughs> talk to the children, you know, the other children I, who I had nothing in common with, who most of the time didn't even know how to eat properly. Um, and I always felt like I was a, a, a grown-up, and um, and I've always been like that ever since. I don't know what's going to happen when I get to 46. I'm 37 now. Yeah, I Maybe mean, I'll revert backwards. No, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because you've still got nine years to go, so you're nine years left to sort of rehearse for the... Why 46, do you think? I don't know. I mean, I just think it's like that feels like a proper grown-up age, doesn't it? <laughs> But um, but I suppose you think that about all ages, don't you? When you're beneath them, you go, well, when I get to 40, when I get to 40, when I get to 46, I'll be then, then I'll know what I'm doing. See, it's um, so funny you pick you're, you're 37 now, because I, I think 37 was I love, mm. by the way, I love every minute, every second of every day. But for me, 37, you. you are pretty much indestructible when you are particularly 
37. I don't know why. It's three years before your 40s, the beginning of middle age, the beginning of half time, whatever you want to say. Uh, you st- mm. you can still smell the zest of youth. You have the, the rumblings of uh, the beginnings of real sort of foundational experience to draw from. Oh. I, th- I yeah. think 37 is, is rocking, my friend. I do feel that. Well, that's very nice of you to say. I suppose that's kind of why I wrote the book, because I did feel like for a, for a time I felt kind of this sense of shame and like I was worried about this like life half lived. Um, and, it, and, and the book very much is about, I hope, about kind of learning to kind of know yourself and, 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 and be at peace with yourself in a way that means that you live your life to the full. And I think that there's so much pernicious shame in our society when you think about it. When you look at a lot of social media. I do think a lot of those people who post angrily on social media, the same people who in medieval times would have turned up at a public <laughs> hanging. And um, I think, you know, like we've got to sort of move beyond that. And when you think like you know, there's been some positive moves with the, with the pandemic this week, it feels like there is a, a, some positive changes happening in the world. I think now is the time when we want to make when we want to take ownership of, of, of making a, a positive, happy change with how we live our lives and how we how we go about treating the people around us. That's yeah. my theory. I mean, I'm no politician, Chris, no. but that's that was my inspiration. OK, it's pretty good uh, theory, I have to say, because there is, you know, there's always the madness of the crowd and there's always the, those that stand out from the crowd. And you definitely did that uh, from day one. Um, so tell well. us tell us about the swimming <clears throat> experience, um, which is uh, the longest chapter to the greatest punchline um, that any of us have ever uh, had the benefit of reading um, to do oh, with... You. Was it your auntie? Or your mum's mate? It was my mum's friend who oh. was an aunt. Just okay. a very close friend of the family. Yeah, so a bit of both. Um, a bit of both. And I was, well, as I'm sure you can remember, in the mid-90s, the most exciting thing that could possibly happen was your local authority would open up a leisure centre, which basically meant they built a swimming pool that looked like the sea, if the sea could somehow be tiled. And the best feature of it was that they built flumes, which were water slides, which went outside of the building. Basically, a water slide that went over the car park. And um, nothing was more glamorous than that. And I remember standing on the staircase, to, you had to queue to go on it. You'd stand there in your swimming trunks, basically in your underpants on a staircase getting cold. It's a, bit, a very unusual feeling unless you have a lot of affairs. Um, I got on this flume, was going, finally, was going down. But because I was, you know, like eight or nine years old, the jets of water couldn't propel me. I had no momentum. So I just stop. And then, of course, what they don't tell you is that somebody else will just come behind you. There's no sort of... There's no kind of thought about it. And it was my mum's friend, Joyce, who came r- r- rattling around the corner, smashed into the back of me. Suddenly I was hurtling along, you know, nestled in the bosom of her thighs, going along together from side to side to side. Eventually came out the other end, splashed into the landing pool. And that's when I first realised I was gay. <laughs> so... Was it, the, was it the, obviously, you know, um, it was the physicality between you and, and your mum's your mm. friend's stroke aunt. Um, yes. But was it the splash that was the, the wake-up call or was, was there a particular moment within that, that slide, <laughs> that gradient, that incline? I think, <laughs> I think yeah, it, was the, it was the gradient. It was the gradient that right. told me I was gay, oh, yeah. I've goodness. always been gay, gay about gradients. Um, the, <laughs> I, um, that was that thing. No, I, I mean, it's sort of a... A, a jumping off point for um, literally. me to talk about my... Literally. Literally. Uh, Vassos, um, you were enamoured about... with another aspect of the leisure centre, weren't you? So I just love... Um, I, I, you, oh, your, your love letter, really, Tom, to oh, yes? the local leisure centre swimming pool wave machine. Oh, well, yes, absolutely. And, of course, well, I mean, it, for me, it did feel impossibly glamorous because you didn't go to the south of France. You just went to the pavilion in Bromley. And, um, and, and basically... This wave machine would be heralded with a siren, which basically sounded like, ah! And then 
um, then what, basically what would happen is the, the, the sea would just sort of, the, the water would gently move and you'd be lifted about five inches off the ground and then back again. And you'd think it was incredible. And everybody would shout and, and everyone would be there. And then it would stop. You know, it'd stop because suddenly we'd be greeted with a wave of plasters. But um, it was truly, at the time, truly fabulous. 37 years old. You are absolutely right for a big fat telly here. Big fat Friday night with Tom Allen. Uh, Chris, and for five to 10 years, you could rule the roost, my friend. All right, Chris. All right. If you, okay. I love this. This feels like I'd like this every day, I think. I feel like I'm talking to my like, you know, like in America, people have those people who just mentors. Mentors. Mentor. That's it. Yeah. I need a mentor. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah, not that. Fine. I'm definitely not that. <laughs> anyway. All right, uh, Tom, great book. Well done, pal. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, lovely to chat to you. Thanks so much for having me and thanks right. for everything you've said. You're very welcome. Tom Allen, no I'll shame. See you, soon. Uh, see you soon, hopefully. What, on the telly. Wonderfully uh, funny, utterly charming, a sharp as hell uh, take on his own life. That's Sarah Millican. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. It's time for some lights, camera, and a large fraction of action. The third series of There's Something About Movies continues next. Next Wednesday on Sky One, and here to tell us all about it is our very own Alfred Hitchcock of the Walk. It's the Silver Screen Siren, Alan Carr. All right, Al. Oh, what a lovely compliment! <laughs> I've never been called the Alfred Hitchcock before. Thank you so much. Morning, sweetheart. I understand you've just woken up, you lazy bones. I know. I'm not a morning person, <laughs> and that's why I sound quite butch at the minute because my voice is quite gravelly. Right. So it's quite a novelty for me. See now. When we're younger, if you're not a morning person, people could say you're a night owl, but you can now not be a morning person and not really be a late-night owl either. What time do you go to bed? I go to bed about... Uh, it's getting getting earlier and earlier, and I'm also <laughs> having a nana nap, which is a real shock to me. I think in my 40s, that's uh, You know, I'm getting... You're 44 now, and like sometimes you just wake up and you'll be covered in dribble watching Watercolour Challenge. We better talk about what you're on to talk about. Uh, there's something about movies. Um, season three, congratulations. It's going very well, isn't it? Yeah, it's been recommissioned, and we're absolutely buzzing, Chris, because we've been nominated for a Rose Door, which is this amazing... Um, amazing award that it's sort of like the the world cup of tv and we're in with a load of other european shows yeah. so we're, we're absolutely buzzing i mean what a series we're having it's great i've got one of those have you got one yeah i got one for don't forget your toothbrush Oh, well, you know how amazing it is to be nominated. Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. You get invited to this mountaintop in Switzerland and you have this really big posh dinner and then they give you your rose door. It's stunning. It's a great, it's a night you even I haven't forgot that night. It's going to be virtual, isn't it? So I'll just oh, be sitting here in London probably so. having a nana nap while it's going on. <laughs> well, I hope you win it. You t- certainly deserve it. I mean, it's the thing about doing, you know, a formatted show as opposed to y- y- your chat show, which is also brilliant, but the pressure's off is you can just have a laugh it's like it's like having a game of footy isn't it and uh, you know how the fun comes the fun comes with you don't have to be the fountain of the fun yeah and you know what and, and it, it reminds me a bit of that show i used to do with justin a friday night project because yeah. we do sketches we do silliness we do parodies and i can really let my hair down because i've got jennifer saunders michael sheen yeah. tom allen they're regulars on this so you know you're yeah. going to have a lot of comedy anyway yeah and it's just it's just so much fun it's just what we need right now it is it is and uh, is the christmas special already recorded yeah you know like we filmed that in march you know when you're <laughs> sweltering outside and you're wearing a christmas jumper and you've just had a calippo do you know what i mean you've got your birkenstocks on yes yeah, so that's all done that's really funny lots of uh, christmas parodies lots of tinsel really funny and uh 
yeah, just great. I'm, I'm just buzzing at the minute with it all. You can tell, I can tell, I can hear it in your voice. Uh, Christmas special guests will be Rafe Spall, Mo Gilligan, Gus Khan, third series already featured, Stephen Graham, Kerry Godleman, Josh Widdicombe, Nick Frost, Phil Wang. Great uh, lineup here. Roisin Kanati, Kelly McDonald, Daniel Mace, Gemma Arterton, Jonathan Ross, and again, Gus Khan. Do you know what, Chris? Yes. Can I just say something? Go on, go, on, go, on, go. On. on the last series, we had Florence Pugh on, and who was nominated for an Oscar. I mean, <laughs> it's like insane the level of guests we have on there. You know what I mean? It's who so else cool. would have? has an Oscar nominee on their panel show. I know, so, I know. It's so it's cool. Brilliant. And when did you, when was it pitched to you? Because I was thinking about it on the way into that. I thought, that's a great title for a movie quiz show. There's something about movies. I mean, you know, often the title gets you halfway there, if not further. Yeah, it was just pitched uh, a couple of years ago. I, it's from the same people who did A League of Their Own. Right. So I knew I was in safe hands because I love that show. And I, Even though it's all, because the thing is, I thought, I've been asked to go on a league of their own for, for ages and I thought, oh no, they're going to just be bullies. It's going to be like being in sports PE at school. Do you know what I mean? It is the campest, gayest show ever, <laughs> a league of their own. I've had my pants pulled down. They pinched me bum. I love it. So it's the same people who did a league of their own and they were like, um, let's do a movie show. So I knew I was in safe hands and it's just basically all the fun you get of a league of their own, but in a movie setting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's very it's good fun. It's a good old gang show, good old telly gang show, fun for all the family. And uh, Vassos has a very, it's not so much a bone to pick with you, but it sort of is. Uh, just just ha- listen up to this for a second, Alan. Just a tiny, it's not even, it's low, it doesn't even count as a bone, Alan. But so I was sent a, <laughs> I was sent a, a link to the, to the Joanna Lumley episode, which is next week's episode. And as I pressed play, my six-year-old daughter, Mary, came and sat on my lap. And as we started, the credits were rolling and I was thinking, I, I can't remember if they swear in there's something about movies. <laughs> a bit potty mouths. But they, they don't, I don't think they do. And do they swear in the League of So anyway, so we start watching and you don't, you weren't. And it was very funny and she was enjoying it. And it was just the whole atmosphere. She loved the happy atmosphere. Everyone having a laugh and you and Tom sort of bouncing off each other. It was great. And then you did the big Frost Nixon. Let's recreate F- Frost Nixon. It was very funny. And then right at the end of that, Alan, right at the end of the yeah. Frost Bombs came flying thick and fast. All of the flipping swear words, all at once. <laughs> oh, <laughs> do you know, do you know, I I can only apologise, but you know what? I've been doing it all week. Listen, this, the nurse came to my house to check for COVID, and she couldn't get any childcare, so she brought her two teenagers along, and they were just sitting there looking quite grumpy. She stuck the thing so far up my nose, I trumped in front of them. <laughs> and they, they, uh, they think I'm the funniest person ever. But why did why did having the thing stuck up your nose near your brain make you trump? Because normally you do it yourself, but I just give it a, a little swift go around. But you've got to stick it up there for like thirty seconds. And she went, Alan, I know you don't stick it up there long enough, so I'm doing it for thirty seconds. And I got so <laughs> nervous, and she just yanked it up there, and I went. Oh dear. Alan, I love you so much. There's Something About Movies continues season three on Sky Wednesdays at 9pm. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. A drawing of a horse set our next guest off on a rather interesting course. The audiobook of The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse is out now and what a story he has to tell. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we're taking you straight to the source of the horse. It's Charlie Mackesy. (laughs) Very good.
Morning, Chazar! Hello. All right. I'm all right. How are you? Good. Very good, Charlie. Um, So here we are, one year on from the phenomenon that has become the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse. And we have the audio book out. Now, you've voiced it yourself. How did you feel about that? Because I know you don't like the limelight. Yeah, limelight is weird. To be honest, I couldn't really find anyone else to do it or I couldn't think of anyone else to do it. And, um, you know, I was in lockdown in a barn somewhere and I just thought, I'll just record it here and see how it goes. And I tried and I hope it's all right. You know, it wasn't easy because I was fighting with <clears throat> my neighbours have lawnmowers. There's always someone with a chainsaw. There's always someone doing something when you're trying to record it. And it was difficult. Um, but, you know, got there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I think we think the emperor looks gorgeous. And we've got you've got the perfect, you know, it is your voice. It's, you know, and you've got a lovely silky voice anyway. And you've got that. That's uh, you know, uh, you've got something going on. It's, it's, it's You've got the vulnerability, you know, in your in your tomb and it's uh, all the better for it so you may well have had a little bit of adversity whilst recording the audio version of your book but there aren't that many words in it i did my couple um and there were loads more words in it, and we live under the heathrow flight path it was a nightmare oh, wow. yeah yeah you had a tougher time than me yeah, yeah. yeah it was a nightmare. although i did add more words because i did you know it, because it's mainly pictures i had to slightly change i rewrote it a bit or added things you know yeah, because what I mean, I'm I'm presuming, and I shouldn't, but I am. So I apologise in advance that the drawings come easier to you than the words. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I tend to just when I wake up, I tend to start scribbling before I've really woken up. So yeah, drawings are easier, definitely. Right. So adding words to um to a work, you know, a volume of literature that is so successful you know you've got to be careful with that haven't you because you 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 can't improve on perfection but of course hopefully nothing's perfect in the first place and then you might be okay yeah i mean the the hard thing for me i think was to keep that some some sentences are sort of you know for for kids particularly they they know them off by heart and i didn't want to sort of have them disappear into a sea of other words that were new so it was yeah you're right it was really hard to decide what not still not what to say what not to say keep it pretty sparse but at the same time describe the, the scenes a bit more yeah so so uh, so have you added any any other thoughts and notions uh, you know as as it were sort of new pages from a book point of view or have you, um, have you just developed the thoughts and notions that are already there i think i just developed the scenes that were already there i didn't really add too much i think i think i got to know the characters a bit more i think i feel like you like having i had to sort of really explore it and, and to eke out what might be going on emotionally in each situation. And, and that more happened to me than I, I haven't revealed so much, but I, I did think, oh, wow, you know, the fox is this or the boy is definitely more fearful than I thought or the mole is whatever, you know. So, yeah, it was, it was a journey for me to sort of really look into it in a, in a deeper way, I think. Well, the whole thing's been a journey for you, hasn't it? You know, because um, you, you're, t- you're turning into, um, what's his name? <laughs> Colonel Sanders. Do you know about that? <laughs> Do you know about? It? Do you know what? I'm, do you know oh, why I'm? Do you know why I'm saying? Do you know why I'm saying that? <laughs> no, why? Girls, why? Because, because he lived in a car until he was sixty. Yes. Well, he did, <laughs> well, he didn't really. I mean, but he just had this single outlet, uh, this deep fried yeah. chicken outlet, and then his uh, his local authority compulsory purchased his. Um, <laughs> 
his shop. And so then the only yeah. way he could make money was by selling uh, the license to the way he he fried his chicken. And he began to make his fortune, I think, at the age of 62. And, of yeah. course, the rest is history. Now, I'm not saying you're 62, Charlie, and you look at half that. You look <laughs> certainly half my age and we're the same age. But um, how's the last year been for you? Well, I think it's been pretty odd, but it's been pretty strange and weird for everybody. So I don't think I'm any different. Um, you know, uh, I, I think the greatest privilege to know that you know, I sort of wrote something that has helped some people along this tricky journey. Yeah, that's that's been the best bit for me. But it's, um, it's going to be there forever. I mean, it's like Harry Potter. It's like the you know, honestly, it's like the Bible. No. It's oh. like my favorite book, The Power of Now. This <laughs> this book oh. and all subsequent uh, boy mole fox and horse books will be there forever. Well, that's nice. I mean, I, I'm not sure if you're right, but it's lovely if it is. How many more books are you signed up for, and what's going on with the with the, with the move? <laughs> that, no, I didn't. I didn't mean it from a vulgar point of view. I just think it's cool. Um, and how's how's the movie story going with the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse? Yeah, the movies, you know, it's coming along, just trying to get it right. And yes, yeah, slow. And I've never done a movie before, and I'm completely out of my depth and feel clueless. But I'm enjoying the process. I think. Listen, it's lovely to talk to you. You are the most, apart from David Bailey, uh, you are the most reluctant interviewee ever. Um, but, oh, no. But the, Is that bad? You know, no, no, you're not bad. No, you know, you're great. You're great because of it. That's why. It's beautiful. I love it to death. Um, and maybe you're not, but uh, it's, you're, okay, you're the most gentle interviewee ever. That's, that's No, that. I love you, though. You're my favourite, honestly. Oh, honestly. Yeah. You are. You're brilliant. I think everyone thinks, whenever it's mentioned that I'm coming out here, they go, oh, I love Chris. I love everyone sort of sings this song, I Love Chris Evans. So there you go. Oh, I thought it was Piers Morgan I've really loved going on. <laughs> it's me, is it? That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Charlie, love to speak to you, my friend. <laughs> Goodbye. The, bo- the Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse audiobook is available now from wherever you get your audiobooks. And if you haven't dipped your toe yet into the world of audiobooks, then you're really missing out. And you should try it. And there's no better way in. In this. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Up next, we're speaking to Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, Matt Hancock. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Uh, I'm not saying we're excited about the news clarioned on the front page of the papers today, but obviously, you know, with with a little bit of trepidatious c- caution. Well, it is a it is a significant step forward. It's a uh, you know, it's really promising news, uh, but there's lots more steps to go. And, and the number one thing, and the reason that we're striking that note of caution, despite obviously being really pleased with the numbers that we saw yesterday and 90% effectiveness, is that it's so important that until we actually have a vaccine and the people who are most vulnerable to this disease are actually vaccinated and kept safe by it, we've still got to follow those rules. Like uh, Dapper Dave uh, self-isolating because he got notified by the app, uh, like the basics of hand, space and space keeping apart and keep having face masks when we need them. You know, we've got to follow those rules, but we do know that we've made progress with, and we have a vaccine that is effective. What I want to see, the thing I'm waiting for, is to see the data on whether it is clinically safe and if it's also clinically safe, then 
then I give you permission to play the uh, the uh, Hallelujah chorus. chorus. All right, good, well spotted, by the way. Um, and so, Professor Daniel, uh, he he was saying he doesn't, he's not quite sure. He he wasn't casting um, uh, suspicion or, or negativity on the ninety percent um, uh, figure that was coming out of the from the as far as the effectiveness yeah. of the vaccine is concerned. But he didn't know where that had come from. He said, "I'm not sure where this has come from." Can you sort of enlighten us as to where that might be? Yeah, so that, that information comes from the clinical trials that Pfizer have been running of this vaccine. You know, there's two vaccines that are at the front of the queue, that and the AstraZeneca one from based on the Oxford University technology. They're both in this uh, phase three uh, clinical trial. You know, the Pfizer one has been uh, 43,000 people have had it and they've been able to monitor all of them. Uh, and found that it's 90% effective. Um, and then, then the next step is to see the safety data. And then they will apply for a license. And the regulators have actually been working alongside them to look at all these results to be able to turn around a decision on whether it is safe as quickly as possible. And after that, it becomes a huge, huge task, which the NHS will lead on, of then actually rolling it out, right? Getting it, getting it uh, into people's arms uh, and uh, uh, making it happen. So there's lots of steps that we've still got to go through, uh, but it is, it's good news. Right, so in past verbiage of the last seven to eight months, so, you know, a new language that we've all learned together, um, a herd immunity would be you'd require between 60 and 70% uh, herd immunity for the virus to have to break down to, to no longer really be able to sort of get where it wants to go. Uh, yeah. From a circuit breaker point of view, circuit breaker break point of view, it's not dissimilar. So is this, is this like a super circuit synthetic, super circuit breaker and synthetic herd immunity? Is that what it's like? It, it, if this, uh, if this works, uh, and if we can vaccinate uh, enough of the population with it, then with this or another vaccine, then you get that um, the, the immunity through the vaccine, which is a safe route to immunity, as opposed to getting the disease, which I can tell you is is horrible and obviously deadly. But the critical thing about this information that we have is what we do and don't know. We do know that it's effective at protecting individuals at around 90%. What we don't know, as well as the safety data, the other thing we don't know and we can't know until a significant proportion of the population have had it, is whether it stops the transmission. So the data, uh, what they do in the trial is they find out, does it protect you from getting ill if you get the virus? Mm -hmm. What it can't do is test whether that then passes you know it still passes on because yeah. we know from this disease it can pass on without you having any symptoms so that question is still unanswered which means we have to be cautious even roll it out to keep all the social distancing in place until we can then have the confidence to get life back to normal in a way that is safe that is the that's the plan if this goes well uh, but it is, you know, it's, so it is a good step forward, but you can understand why yeah, yeah. Uh, we keep saying there's lots of further steps to go. Prior to the Prime, Minister, Prime Minister's uh, statement last night live in Downing Street at five o'clock, uh, how, how much did you know about this and for how long? How close were you to be, uh, being able to announce this? And second of all, actually answer that question first, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, it is, it is very, I mean, as you've seen from the stock market, it's massively market-sensitive information. So the number of people who knew about this in advance uh, was really small, uh, which meant that when people were saying, "Do we, you know, what, you know, with lockdown, are we going to be able to get out of it? Is there going to be 
a vaccine. We couldn't say to people that there was good news, uh, that there was good news coming because it's such sensitive information and there's really stringent rules around uh, what people say about it. Um, what was the again? I know you've got a, you've got a, your answer is probably going to yeah. be cautious optimism. But what was yeah. the, what's the mood been like in Downing Street over the last twenty four hours? Well, you know, we've got we've got mass testing rolling out, going really well in Liverpool, and we're now rolling out that out across other parts of the country. We've got the vaccine, good a good step forward on the vaccine. Um, so you can imagine, you know, it's not it, it, we don't do this. Now, I'm not in this job to win a popularity contest, and it hasn't exactly been uh, easy these last uh, few months. Uh, but when when you do get this good news, obviously there's uh, a bit of relief. Yeah, good. All right, well, good luck today, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Good stuff. Thanks for having me. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.